to his church daily, those who are being saved. God is the adder to the church. And God adds to the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of his Holy Spirit being bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is. We wouldn't know who Jesus Christ is at all. None of us in this room would know who he is. Unless God the Holy Spirit had not, if he had not come and invaded our hearts and turned our hearts around and said, I want you to see my son in whom I am well pleased, we would not, we would not be those who are in Christ. And so today, I come expecting this, that whenever we gather, but especially today for some reason, because I have been praying fervently about this and God gave me a sense as I was praying this week that today, today is the day of salvation for someone. That someone in hearing the word of God today is going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and that they are going to see Jesus Christ for the very first time. They are going to see the reality of the gospel for the very first time. So let's read Acts 2, 1 through verse 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Here it is, as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we bear witness to what it is that He, the Holy Spirit, is doing. Some are joined together. Some are called to Him. And others think that you and I, as we bear witness, are out of our cotton-picking minds. That we are crazy people speaking of this invisible God that is, is as real to us as the chair that we're sitting in. It, God is as real as the chair you're sitting in. But yet others might look at us and say, these guys are crazy. They are out of their minds. As I, as I looked at this text this week, I kept getting a, a, an idea about unity, that unity is the key, that, that unity of spirit and unity within us is what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit is about. It, it brings us together and that together we are more, much more powerful than we are individually. And so the Holy Spirit is what knits and binds us together he is what binds us together as a body. And so I was looking at the various groups of folks that are represented in this text. And I started thinking, 
How is it that we can get a group of people to agree on anything at all? You know, as the leadership of the church, we have four or five guys that we sit together, we pray, and, and how is it that we get four guys of various backgrounds and various um, stages, maybe even in our walk with Christ, to agree on anything at all? And then I think about our families at home. How is it that we get, I have, there's six people in my house, four children, my wife and myself. How is it that we get six of us to agree on anything at all? And then I think about workplaces. We work with maybe multiple people. Um, we're in schools with multiple people. Uh, we might be living in a house uh, with strangers, uh, people we don't know that well, and we're kind of maybe forced together in some situations. We get forced to live with people. And how is it that we can figure out how to get along? Then I think about these 120 people that were together at this time. And how is it that they could be unified there in the upper room? Again, I ask this. There were people of varied kingdoms and varied ethnicities and varied languages, obviously. And how is it that they could come together and be in one place? To be in one place together. And so as I started thinking about this at home, what is it that brings us together where we can come in agreement? Number one, I think that we have defined family roles. We define something. We have a definition. This is who the family is about. This is what we are about. This is how we conduct ourselves in this house. This is the guideline for our family. And that each member of that family understands that. And that as my three-year-old understands this is how we do things, she probably bucks against it the most because, you know... Uh, as we see as we, when we were young kids, right? We don't have to teach uh, ourselves how to be sinful and how to disobey. We come by that really quite naturally. And so when you look at a three-year-old and you say, these are the guidelines for our family, uh, the three-year-old is the first one to be disobedient to it. And then you get a 14-year-old. <laughs> and by the time you're 14, you know everything. And therefore, the rule doesn't apply to you anymore. It used to, but now it doesn't apply. Well... But still, you come back to, as parents, we come back to, no, this is the definition of what it means to live in the McKinnis house. And that does not change. This is what it means. And when all of us seem to understand that, then guess what? We have unity at home. Each member understands that this is what it means. And I think about workplace stuff. When we're in the workplace, what is it that unifies the workplace together? Usually a workplace will have something that they call a standard operating procedure, some sort of guideline and format, and that in the workplace what brings unity is that this guideline, this standard operating procedure applies to the worker as well as the president. This operating procedure applies to all across the board, and therefore we can have unity because we understand what the parameters are, what the guidelines are. So as I think about these 120 people that are gathered together there in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit, how is it that in verse 1 it says they were all together in one place? Why would they have been all together in one place? And what was it that unified them 
to the point where we could have diverse languages, diverse people groups, all together in one place agreeing that they ought to be waiting on the Holy Spirit to empower them. I found it an amazing thing to think about. And I think that one we talked about that there was unity in prayer, so it began with prayer together. As they sought the Lord together, that the Holy Spirit worked to unite them together internally. The Holy Spirit living within them, united them together to wait on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit collectively. And that one of the things we focus on in the past couple weeks is that they were unified in this. They understood that the, the gospel, the good news, the witness, that it hinged on the resurrected Jesus. That their God that they served and that they were waiting on is alive. I think secondly, too, is that they understood something about the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes in churches and even in messages that I have given and even in conversations that I've had with people, I have often referred to the Holy Spirit as an it or a thing or something that emanated from God. I think that as they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, they understood this, that the Holy Spirit was indeed God. And that as they were waiting there to to, uh, wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they were waiting on a person. They were going to meet with a real person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And how that works as far as wrapping our brains around the Trinity and that each one is a distinct person That can be a tough thing to sort of wrap our heads around. But indeed, I think that these guys had figured that part out, that that the Holy Spirit was indeed a person. They were waiting on a person. They could agree on that. That was the parameters, I think, that caused them to be unified. And that they understood this, too, that Jesus was the author of their faith. That unified them. And then they were unified around this, that the centrality of the gospel That the gospel message of Jesus Christ is what made the church the church. And that the message, that is what centered them. That is what unified them together. So, again, as I looked looked into this text, I wanted to think about the um, forefathers of our faith and the forefathers of our church. We didn't come by our understanding of what it means to be a Christian um, all on our own. Uh, we didn't define the church on our own. That, that men and women have died and laid down their lives because they wanted to define clearly what is Christian and what is not. Because you might think that that, that actually um, divides people, but it doesn't. Laying down what it means by definition to be a Christian church does not divide. Actually, laying down what it means to be a Christian church actually unifies the body together. Um, And oftentimes in our American thing, we kind of want everything and anything to go. We want to say, well, how you, it's been revealed to you, that's for you, and how it's been revealed to me, that's been for me, and that we get together, and guess what, we are, we might be under the guise of tolerance, seeming to be unified, but we are as far apart as night and day, because we haven't defined exactly who we are 
what it is that unifies the church body. What, what is it that makes what it is that we are uniquely Christian? And so um, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 for a second. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So again, we're defining this. And I think that in our text, there was this definition. There was this definition for them that what is foundational, what is foundational to the church is that everything is built on the person of Jesus Christ. Everything was built on him. And so they're waiting again for this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But what was it that they were waiting to do? They were waiting to be empowered to be witnesses, that is, to tell the truth about the foundational person of which the church is built. They were waiting for that empowerment to tell the truth about Jesus. So they must understand that what is the foundation that we build ourselves upon? And we as a church would do well to do the same thing. We would do well to say, let's make the, the, the main thing a plain thing. Right? The main thing is really plain. And that is that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And that the good news of Jesus Christ is what unites us together. And that this Holy Spirit then speaks to us together. That this empowerment is as a group, as a, as a church together. But we have to have some foundations. And I think that the early church fathers, the forefathers of our church, they, defined, they wanted to define too, what does it mean to be uniquely a Christian church? And they said this in, in some simple things. But I think these are really good for us to grab a hold of, uh, to, to boil things down to a bottom line. That's kind of my normal mode of thinking is I like bottom line. Just give me, like, what is it that defines who it is to be a Christian? What is it that defines the church? What is it that, that I can go back to time and time again when, when times are tough, when, when persecutions come, when... Everything just gets to be uh, too much for me. What can I count on? What can I say? No, this is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what it means to be in a local church body. What does it mean and how do I define that? And our early church fathers defined a couple of things. Is that number one, they defined that all authority that we take, we take from the word of God. That the word of God is our authority and our authority only. We have no other authority. That we don't stand upon the word of God, we stand underneath it. That it is our authority and our authority alone. And that we understand that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Christ alone. And all that we do, we do to the glory of God alone. That's a, that's a bottom line definition to me. That this is what it means to be a Christian church. That we, as a Christian church, are under the authority of Scripture alone. That any of us who are participants and, and, and a part of that body, we came to our salvation not by our own strength or our own effort. We came only by the grace of God alone. And that God worked that out through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And all of that is done to the glory of God alone. So again, as I look at this text... And they are all, they are all together in one place. If we look ahead at verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All means all. That they were all together in one place. 
They, all, they had unity. If the Holy Spirit didn't come upon some of them. The Holy Spirit didn't fill one or two. The Holy Spirit filled all of them. It was about unity. And that the Holy Spirit is what his job unifies the church. One of his offices is to unify the church. Then this, that they come, they came expecting, right? Expecting a person to meet them, as we said before. And this person would only come because they had a faith and understanding in the resurrected Jesus. When they were gathering their leadership, they said, one must be a witness to the resurrection. Right? That was in the leadership of the church. And I think for all of us as a church to say, what is it that our faith hinges on? Our faith hinges on a resurrected Jesus. Our faith hinges on the fact that our God is alive, like I said last week. And that here in, in verse 5, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, that, that everyone who was gathered to, together there, devout men, they were from every nation, they were expecting again a visit from a person. We gather together, we, we know that God himself is going to meet with us here. Because the promise of Jesus himself said, not many days from now, not many days from now, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be a witness to me throughout Judea, Jerusalem, and the animal ends of the earth and all of that, right? Remember that, that, that this was a visit from God. So I want to give us just a, a little idea about the Holy Spirit so that we don't think of the Holy Spirit as a thing, that we think of the Holy Spirit as a person. The relation of the Spirit to the other persons of the Trinity, that is clear, has been stated. That he is the same in substance, he is equal in power and in glory. He is subordinate to the Father and the Son as to how he operates. And he is said to be of the Father and of the Son. He is sent by them and they operate through him. So it's all operated together. He bears the same relation to the Father as to the Son. He is said to be of one as well as of the other. Right? He is given both by the Father and he is given by the Son. His eternal relationship to the other persons of the Trinity is indicated by the word Spirit. And by its being said that he is out of God. God is the source of where the Spirit comes from. So the idea is that God is not divided, but he is distinct. There are three distinct persons, but God is not divided, right? So this is a visit from God himself. I think that unifies the church, doesn't it? If we came in this morning, and as I was praying all morning upstairs, I was like, that I come expecting today that we are going to meet with God. That we are going to meet with God in a special way today. That the Holy Spirit is going to meet with us and convict us of things that we need to be convicted of, corrected. Um, he's also going to encourage some hearts today, too. He's encouraged us to keep on keeping on. Keep trusting in me. Don't let go of your hope. Keep focused on who it is that I am. And then, when we look at verse 11 of, of Acts chapter 2 says that both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, Arabians, 
We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, when Jesus was asked, he says, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answers singularly and says, this is the work of God. Believe on he whom has been sent. Believe on me, I've been sent. That's the work of God. He doesn't say there's works to do. He says there's a work. And the mighty work of God is Jesus Christ himself. And so I couldn't help but think about this, that in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the very power of God. The message is the very power of God. Does this not unify the body? So ultimately, I might say this, that what it is that we are uh, looking at as far as uh, it pertains, what is it that we could say unifies us at home, unifies us at work, unifies us in the church? It, it, it is the same thing. It is the same concept. It is the same idea. And that is principle. There are principles. It's not about personality. No church is super blessed by having some charismatic uh, preacher who has no principles whatsoever, who doesn't have a foundation to build on. And I, myself, am uh, not Mr. Charismatic sort of guy. And so I have come to understand this, that if, if I'm going to have any success in the ministry of Jesus Christ, that I must, must focus on principle-centered Leadership, principle-centered values on the principles of my faith, that those must be ever before my mind and ever before my heart, and that as I surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the only way I can do this, is as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, then guess what? Our actions and our steps start to align with the foundations, and that we, we have this thing called integrity, because what I say, I live what I say that I believe, I actually do. Because the word belief really means by life. What do we believe? By our lives, we demonstrate what it is that we believe. And I believe fully that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. I believe that the only way for us to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is, is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way. I believe that. And I would ask God in his graciousness, I say, God, would you please empower me to live it out, to actually walk in the truths that you have revealed to me, to walk in what my mind and my heart tell me are true. God, would you give me the ability to walk that walk in integrity so that what I say is who I am? That's, a, that's my prayer for the church, is that we would walk in the things that God says we are. God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you walk in the truth of that, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Does, do you walk in the truth that God says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life? Do you walk in the truth that this, in, in, the, in, the, in the mire and the filth of life, do you, do you walk in the truth of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? That says, 
I know my thoughts towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. And that I am going to bring you to an expected end. I'm going to bring you to an expected hope. That the hope that you have in your heart is one that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt. That you know, that you know, that you know that this is the truth. That I can walk in this hope boldly and firmly. That I can do that by the power of God and by the power of God only. I think those that faced their uh, testing this week. The first person shot that stood up and said, I'm a Christian, that was powerful. But the one who followed him and stood up and said it, even more powerful. That person who stood up said, I believe. I believe in the hope of heaven. And you cannot kill me. You can shoot me in the head. But I am going to heaven and I am going to be in the presence of God today. You cannot harm me. That is faith. And that is by belief, that is by life, you understand that that is who I am. I wanted to to close with this a little bit because I want to see in the Ephesian church, and in all the letters, I should say, that in all the letters that um, Paul wrote, in each of them, he talked a lot about unity. That in every address of their problems that the church had, He wanted to focus them on unity, being unified. To the Roman church, he said, the gospel as the power of God is the only means of salvation. Unify around that truth. To the Corinthians, he said, unity is around the resurrection. To the Galatians, he said, there is no other gospel except for the gospel of grace. He wanted them to understand, don't add anything to this gospel. Unify around the fact that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That no other gospel will do. If there is any other gospel, it's no gospel at all. And you should reject it. To the Ephesians, he said, salvation is by grace through faith. To the Philippians, he said, unity comes in servanthood. Serve one another. Love one another. And then, to the Colossians, he said, unity comes by understanding that Christ is to have preeminence in all things. Well, I wanted to read from Ephesians 4 because I want us to see this. And I'm, this scripture will just speak for itself. I don't have to say anything. Uh, that It just says it. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, In the bond of peace. And here's what he he starts to define this. I will say this. He does start to define this for us. That what is it that's going to unify us, right? A a oneness. A single-mindedness of purpose. A single-mindedness like a standard operating procedure. He says, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Is that not a unifying call? Unify around one God. One God. There's only one body. There's only one body. There's only one God. And there's only one hope. And that hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. There is one faith. It's a shared faith. It is a, this is our faith. 
This is our faith. And the Holy Spirit then builds a family. The Holy Spirit is unified in himself and unified in the Father and the Son. He's not divided. He comes upon us uniformly. That is, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon this body, he comes upon Doug and he comes upon Melissa and he comes upon Katie and Kathy and Jeff all in equal measure. He comes upon us all. And the empowerment is for all of us. We should be unified in those things that are foundational. And that is the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you so much uh, for the truth of your word. I thank you for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I would ask right now that today, I, I really believe that your Holy Spirit is calling someone into relationship with Jesus. That today your Holy Spirit is convicting someone of sin and asking them to just turn from that and turn to you. And when they do, you offer grace and mercy and kindness. And so today, Lord, would that person just confess in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and they can only do such by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.